That would have been terrible. Well, I didn't even know Ted Powers liked me, so I did. Uh, good morning, everyone. And, uh, you know, I, I unfortunately will say that I'll probably never be able to recognize you if I see you again, uh, because we're all wearing masks. Uh, but thank you for your courage uh, to come out to church. Isn't that amazing? You have to have a bit of courage to come to church today uh, with all this terrible virus. And for those uh, of you who are, are people at home watching, God bless you too. And uh, for any of you who uh, especially are elderly like me or have pre-existing uh, conditions and are at risk, may the Lord watch over you and protect you in these days. Boy, it's a rough time. Uh, I've heard a lot of jokes about this year. People are going to stay up late on New Year's Eve to make sure the year leaves, you know, uh, because it's been, it's been pretty rough. Uh, but I've got good news this morning uh, from the Scriptures, and uh, it's, it's about preaching good news. It's about uh, talking about the future as well as even right now. And so uh, if you have your Bible or if you have your bulletin, um, if your Bible's in your phone, turn with me to Isaiah 61. We're going to read that chapter. It's not very long, but it is wonderful. So right before I read it, I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Sunday morning and the freedom to come to church and to be together. Lord, these are hard times for us to fellowship. We can't even really touch each other, a hug or give a holy kiss. We, Lord, we're even kind of hidden from each other. But we thank you that we're not hidden from you. And we're asking, Lord Jesus, that you would still fill our hearts with joy and the pleasure of worship and the pleasure of hearing your word. Oh, Spirit of God, please use me, anoint me to proclaim your good news. We pray that you'd give yourself glory in every aspect and that the people's hearts would be lifted up uh, to give you praise. Father God, we pray for deliverance from this virus. We ask that you would rebuke it and give us a cure and a vaccine and deliverance, comfort, oh God, all those who are mourning because of the deaths of those they love. So we ask these mercies, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise 
instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. They are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns himself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is, in it, what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Amen. The word of the Lord. The title of my sermon this morning, as you can see in your bulletin, is Be an Oak. Be an Oak. And that comes from uh, the verse that we read, that we will be known as Oaks of Righteousness. That's, that's, that's quite a reputation. Oak's a pretty firm tree. And if you've ever tried to uh, chop one up for firewood, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that's hard wood. And God is going to make us into some beautiful hard wood. Now, I've got uh, three points and uh, thousands of uh, subpoints. So uh, we'll try to. I'll try to uh, make it understandable as we go along. Uh, of course, some of you may recognize this passage. You may remember that it was the passage that the Lord Jesus read that day when he came to his hometown and they handed him the scroll and he opened up to this portion and he read from Isaiah 61. And after he read it, he said, this day, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So, therefore, we, we have no problem knowing who the prophet is talking about. When it comes to this passage, we know for sure that it's about Jesus. And so, basically, my three points are Jesus, 
does amazing things. Jesus Messiah does amazing things. And my second point is Jesus Messiah makes us amazing. And we're to do, as, as Messiah people, we're to do uh, amazing things. And we're going to gain a reputation as we do them. And third, our God is an awesome God, just to take off from that song. So it's fairly simple. We want to look at this Lord Jesus who does amazing things. Now, I need to, to help you understand that I, th- this passage is pretty personal for me because when he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, who has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, I resonate with that. Now, I know that some of you may have been, uh, come from poor families or poor situations. Uh, even in the wealthiest churches in America, there are often people there who come from poor backgrounds. And it's been interesting to me as I've gone around the country from time to time and preached about poverty and how God loves the poor and how God wants us to care for them uh, and sometimes have told my testimony. I've had people who came forward, and they look very affluent, and they, they look like they'd arrived in life. And, and, and sometimes with tears in their eyes, they've told me, you reminded me of where I come from. Well, I was uh, a child of a single-parent mom. My father abandoned uh, my mother and us kids when I was about four years old. We, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, but he put us on a train up to New Jersey, where my grandparents lived. And my mother's life really fell apart in the context of Newark, New Jersey. She fell apart emotionally, spiritually, economically. We lived with my grandparents for a year. Then we moved into city housing, city housing projects. Some of you are familiar with them. Uh, The city I grew up in, Newark, had more housing projects per capita than any city in America. And, and so they called it Brick City. And one reason that they had that many projects was because the city council and mayor uh, were all connected to the mafia. And the, the whole place was corrupt. And so this was a way of getting a lot of government money. And they got uh, corruption in the unions to use bad materials to build them. And it was just a cycle, uh, really, of uh, corruption and poverty together. And so we moved there, and my, my, my mom had several boyfriends, and she got pregnant by somebody she was not married to, and my grandparents were very moral people, gave that child up for adoption, and in her despair and discouragement, she turned around and got pregnant again. And this is probably the lowest point in my mother's life. By this time, we were on welfare, uh, just really trying to make ends meet. I was, by that time, just as a little boy, running the streets, robbing, uh, fighting. And uh, as the only boy in my family, I really had no, nobody to kind of give me any impulse control, which is what dads are really for. Um, and since I have four kids, uh, I learned what that meant. Um, but right at that lowest point in my mother's life, another single-parent mom in that housing project invited her out to a church, a little house church. 
and actually it was a, a, a week of evangelistic meetings, and there was an evangelist there named Kennedy Smart, who later would turn out to be one of the founders of the PCA. And the next day, that evangelist and the pastor came to our house and led our family to Christ. So when I read this, that Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, he's talking about me. The gospel came to our house. The good news came to our house. And not only did the gospel came, but, but the whole church showed up. And what I mean by that was that church really cared about people. There were times that when I, re I remember my mother weeping at the kitchen table because we were out of food. There was no food left. And suddenly a knock came at the door, and uh, we rushed to the door to open it, and there were the deacons with bags of groceries in their hand. So I am a recipient of mercy from the church of Jesus Christ. I'm a recipient of mercy from the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm a recipient of mercy because I'm forgiven by Jesus over and over and over again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Thank you. Your mask will not prevent you. So Jesus does amazing things. Notice what it says here. It says that he is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And the Spirit comes upon him for this particular reason. And the book of Isaiah talks about the Holy Spirit and, 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 and what kind of spirit he is and what he does and what he brings. And in this case, this anointing is specifically so the Messiah would come as a preacher he proclaims good news. And of course, we know now what that good news means. That the Messiah himself would become sin for us. He who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This good news is that God the Father loved the world, so he gave his only begotten son. He gave him in the way of dying as a sacrifice on the cross, taking all our sins upon himself so the Father's anger would all be used up in the death of his Son and God would not be angry with us anymore if we believed in him. That's good news. And so Jesus had come to proclaim it, to proclaim the kingdom of God. You notice what it says here. There's some really marvelous things. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You know, this is an acknowledgement of reality about the world. That there are, there are a lot of hurting people in the world. And the people who've been crushed by the circumstances of life, Jesus loves them. I don't know anybody listening to me this morning might be in such a situation as that. But Jesus has come to mend your broken heart. He's come to repair the damage that maybe even your parents caused you. The, my father abandoning my family broke my heart. It put a hole in my heart that for years I was trying to fill with all kinds of substitutes just to, to feel somebody's love. Jesus is a surgeon, and he sews the heart back together with grace. Hallelujah. 
He proclaims liberty to the captives. People are locked in a prison of their sin. This, this is such wonderful news to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, if you were Jewish and you heard this, you would be thinking about the year of Jubilee. You would think, uh, be thinking about this 50th year that the Old Testament talked about. Now, by the way, just so you understand, God, in his creation of the nation of Israel, always had a plan for how to take care of poor people in that nation. And basically, every tribe, every clan, every family was given land in the promised land. And if you fell into poverty and you had to sell your land... When, when the trumpets blew on the 50th year, the U Jubilee, everybody got their land back. That was the plan. There was a reinvestment. The, the poor were recapitalized and so that they would have, again, an inheritance so they could grow their own crops and they could live. And, and basically, if you bought land, you only you were really leasing it up to that 50 years. And so the year of Jubilee, the slaves were let free. If you had to sell yourself as a slave because you were poor, you would only do that for seven years. Every seventh year was the year of Sabbath. Slaves were free. Debts were forgiven. And the 50th year, bam, Jubilee. The Jews never did it. They never celebrated a Sabbath year. They never celebrated Jubilee. In fact, 490 years went by in which they never kept their obligations to the poor. And so God sent them into exile. They had missed 70 Sabbath years. And so if you know that God sent them to Babylon for 70 years, God got every one of his Sabbath years back. But boy, what a promise. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I guess 2020 isn't it. Because <laughs> we, man, it's almost like what we got was the day of the vengeance of the Lord. Uh, and, and by the way, we certainly deserve God's judgment. But here is this precious promise. Jesus does amazing things. He will comfort all who mourn. So he is the preacher. He's the proclaimer. He is the comforter. He is the consoler. And he's a giver. Those are the amazing things Jesus does. To grant, he, to give to those, to grant to those who mourn in Zion a beautiful headdress. Now, for Americans... Uh, we might not get this imagery because we say, what are you talking about giving a headdress? But, you know, wearing a cool hat is a big deal for Jewish people. So even today, you know, their men are covered when they come to worship. And the Orthodox Jews have these great hats. Um, but it was, it was, it was kind of a, a celebratory, especially for men. In America, of course, hats mostly seem to belong to women, especially at Easter and if, if you ever go to a, especially an African-American church on Easter, and you will meet the, the, what I call the big hat ladies. And I mean, they are decked out. And they're huge. And they're just explosive. Well, that's, that's kind of the image here. That 
instead of putting ashes on your head because you're grieving and you're broken and you're hurting, God's going to give you a happy hat. You can wear it around, show off, because God's been good to you. He's going to give you the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That's what our amazing Messiah does. And I will tell you that even though for us as Christians we face reality, we face the reality of suffering, we face the reality of sickness and of abandonment and of oppression and of persecution. We face those realities. We're not people in denial. We're not, we're not trying to make believe trouble hasn't come. This plague, this virus is real. It won't go away because you, you, you want to downplay it or because you want to ignore it or you're in denial. No matter how much you deny it, it will still kill you. It's real. So what is this talking about, all this mourning into joy and all of that? Because for the Christian, the reality is, even in a very broken, fallen world, we have a Savior. We have joy. We can wear the garments of praise. We're not a people in denial, but we are a people of hope. Say amen. By the way, you don't have to wait for me to ask you to say it. All right, let's move on to our second point. Jesus, the Messiah, makes us amazing. You see, when, when the Messiah came to proclaim good news and people believed it, we are to be transformed by that good news. It's not just that Jesus did something for us, but he has done something to us and in us. He creates a new reality. As Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And one of the things he does is he makes us an oak of righteousness, a strong tree. You know, elsewhere in Isaiah, he says this. This was the theme uh, verse for prison fellowship. And it said, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering, now if I had caught it, that would have been cool, right? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And, and they, Prison Fellowship uses that verse because that really describes what it means to be to have a broken life, to, to be a prisoner, and, 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 and to really have no resources, and really to feel your life is over, and a lot of inmates feel that way, you know, I'm just existing, I'm just getting through the day, and here comes this glorious good news that no matter how beaten up you've been, God can take what looks like a swamp grass and, re, and remake, remake you into an oak of righteousness. Now, I, I just want to sit for a second on this word righteousness. Uh, this, this is an important word in the, in the Bible. 
And of course, uh, you're not surprised as a Christian to be told that the preachers want you to be righteous. We're trying to tell you God wants you to be righteous, right? But a lot of times we take that word righteousness and we just, we just make it a very personalized kind of righteousness. You know, I, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, you know, as they used to say. I, 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 I've, I've cleaned up my act. Um, you know, I, I'm not addicted to drugs. I, I, I'm not an alcoholic, or, I, you know, I don't live that kind of life anymore. I don't, I don't want to run around and, and commit sexual immorality. I, I, I try to be a decent, good person. And we, we personalize righteousness. But the word righteousness in the Bible is bigger than that. You say, well, wait, why would you make it bigger? It's hard enough already. Well, what God does is he, he you know, remember the first and second commandment? Because that will help you understand what righteousness is. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. The second is like unto it, which is? She'll love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, righteousness not only implies personal morality, it also implies public justice. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you must become a person of justice. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. That sounds like politics. Why would I have to care about justice? I'm just trying to live a personal, holy life. You are not holy if you don't love your neighbor. Did I make that clear enough? So if, if you don't care for your neighbor, you're not loving them. If you don't love them, you're not obeying the second commandment. If you're not obeying the second commandment, you're not righteous. He said, man, uh, man, Christianity just got harder. I, I'm going to tell you flat out, Christianity is impossible. It's not harder, it's impossible. Unless Jesus is the power inside of you. And that's what is glorious about Jesus. He makes us amazing. And, and, and this is what it says. It says this about you. This is about God's people. Look, it says, and by the way, all of it is so God can be glorified. The planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. Look at verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Look at, look at here at verse 6. You will be called... The priests of the Lord, they will speak of you as the ministers of our God. Verse 7, instead of shame, your shame, there'll be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Oh, they'll have everlasting joy. God does amazing things in us. Notice here that this is what people, non-Christian people, uh, not, people who are not God's people, this is what they should say about us. In other words, we as God's people are to have a reputation. Now here, I've come all the way up here to Illinois, it's just simply to ask you this question, what is the reputation of this church? Do you have one? 
Uh, Robert asked this yesterday uh, when we were talking to the deacons and the mercy team, or as they say, the D team. Uh, and that is, if your church uh, folded tomorrow, now here you're using a Seventh-day Adventist church, so you don't have a building yet of your own, but you are an entity. Trinity Church is an entity. You are a real church. But suppose you just all gave up tomorrow. Would anybody miss you? Would anybody even know you were gone? I love what Job said about himself when he was reflecting on the righteousness God had gave him. And he said in one line, I think it captures up the power of his life. He said, I made the widow's heart sing. Can anybody say that about you? Can anybody say that about this church? Because you see, if you were uh, living this life to be a priest of the Lord, a minister of our God, if you were an oak of righteousness, you'd have a reputation. One of the great Roman emperors in the first few centuries uh, after Christ had come, he wrote something that a lot of people have quoted, and he was writing to another Roman, and he was talking about the Christians, and he was not a Christian, and he was complaining about this new sect of Christianity, and he said, those Christians take care of the, our poor more than we do. That was the reputation of the church. We turned the Roman Empire up down, upside down through our life of mercy. They abandoned their little girls on cliffs when they didn't want to have baby girls. They left them to die. And the Christians came along and picked them up and brought them home and raised them as their own. When the plague came and, and the Romans were afraid to minister to those who were dying, it was the Christians who came and they ministered to them. That's the reputation of the church. Brothers and sisters, I'm here today to say, get your reputation back. Get your reputation back. Let me move on quickly. I'm sorry I'm taking so long. Our God is an awesome God. And why is he awesome? Well, look what he does all through this passage. He sends the Holy Spirit. We believe, of course, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But he sends the Spirit to anoint his own Son, the Messiah. He gives favor and he brings vengeance. God will bring justice. If we don't stand for it and we don't advocate for it and we don't practice it, you better believe this, God will bring it. He says here, I the Lord love justice and I hate robbery and oppression. He plants us it talks about we'll be planted, the planting of the Lord, oaks of righteousness. Well, God is the one who does that planting. He does it for his glory. He reverses the fortune of Israel and the broken. Now, I didn't say this, but this is, of course, in a book of prophecy. And the Jewish people, when they were reading it, they were asking the question, of course, when will this happen? Who's this about? And I told you that Jesus said he fulfilled it, but some of this is not yet fulfilled. 
In fact, if you look at the previous chapter, the last chapter of Revelation is almost a complete quote of Isaiah 60, where it says the gates of the city will be open and there'll be no night there because the Lord, the Lamb, will be its light. So what we're talking about is, is a promise for the people of Israel like in three phases. The, the exile will be over. You're going to come back to the land. The Messiah will come and he will bring in a new age of deliverance and forgiveness of sins. And then even beyond that, there's a coming kingdom of God in which all death will be gone. All sorrow and sighing will flee away. Every tear will be dried. Our God is an awesome God. So whatever we have to go through, let me close with this, whatever your family has to go through, and, and you know, from all we can see, this COVID virus is going to get worse before it gets better. And many of our churches and communities have been fairly protected from it. I will tell you that in the African-American community, it has just reaped a harvest of death. There are many pastors, even bishops in the Church of God in Christ, they've gone on to heaven now because the virus took them. Sooner or later, it may come to your door. And for a church that has had, I guess, no funerals yet, God forbid you'd have to have any, but some may come. I want you to know there's hope. Facing reality, we have hope. Our Lord Jesus has brought forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, he brings his kingdom. He brings justice. He brings righteousness. And this little phrase in this chapter is really cool. He brings everlasting joy. Bank on it. He loves you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending the Messiah. Thank you for giving your people hope in the coming of Christ, in the coming of Christ into our hearts, and in the coming of the kingdom. And Father, please give us courage in the days ahead. Give us the ability to remember the promises of your word. Help us to remember the covenant you have made with us. That you will not abandon us or forsake us. That you will mend us and heal us. You will comfort us and console us. And you will give us joy. Oh Lord, see us through the valley of the shadow of death. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.